Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Just a massive thank you to whoever you are listening to this. Before we start, just to remind you that we do this podcast two, three times a week. But we don't always know which days it's going to be on, so there's only one way to know, and that is to subscribe and get notifications. Why not drop us a review while you're there? Right, enough about that. Let's talk some rugby. I'm Ben James. I'm joined by Matt Southcombe and Simon Thomas. It's been a very busy day here at Wales Online Towers. Um, not that everyone's been in the towers. We've had Andy Howell up in uh, England. What I thought. Andy Eddie Howell Jones. and Eddie Jones in the same room. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and the man's my right. Matt Southcombe, he's been down the Wales camp because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's team announcement day ahead of England v Wales. Yes, it is. Yeah. I mean, it, it's been an interesting day, to be honest. Um you know, the Wales team is there's four changes in the starting side, uh and more changes on the bench as well. It's a really intriguing selection. Um you know, I was speaking to our columnist Mike Phillips just before coming on on the podcast here and um we both sort of agreed that earlier in the week we were a bit ooh, you know, not sure about this this trip to Twickenham, not particularly optimistic. Uh, I mean, Mike is the eternal optimist when it comes to Wales as well. So, you know, um, but then when we saw the side, it it kind of calms you down a little bit because, you know, when there was all this stuff about Bigger being out, you know, potentially out of this game on Saturday after his knee injury last weekend, it was like, oh God, what what are we going to do here? You know, chuck all the kids in, throw it about, see what happens. Could win by 50 points, could lose by 50 points. But, you know, as it works out, Wales... Um, I saw a brief tweet before coming on air. Apparently, Wales's side is the second most experienced team they've named ever. <laughs> um, the first being against France. Yeah, last time. Right? Which, which is not bad uh, to be yeah. fair. You know, over like eight, over eight hundred caps, I think it was. So, you know, with that in mind, <laughs> it's not it's not nowhere near as pessimistic as as I was before yeah. seeing the team. I think there's there's a few big ifs, aren't there, in terms of fitness, but if those fitness issues sort of subside, it looks like a more experienced team that can play the pivac way than maybe we've seen so far in the Six Nations. The interesting thing is, wherever you look across the side, there's injury-related selections, either players missing out or players coming back. And going to the point that Matt touched on there, you know, the back three, we've been talking all about a bit of a crisis there. You know, Owen Lane missed out before the championship. Amos is gone. Adams. Um, Adams is gone. There's been the, there was the doubt over uh, over um, George North after the bang last week. We haven't seen Liam Williams in the first three matches. So if all these things cloud and over it, you've ended up with three test lions starting, <laughs> half-penny North and Liam with 244 caps for Wales between them so yeah um, and you can pay that to uh, two years ago is a little tester for you Matthew yeah. two years ago the back three Wales played a trick in against England at 19 caps was here then what was that back three Josh Adams yes uh, Steph Evans yes oh, here we go uh, oh. I can't remember the other one well at full back Mr G Anscombe Anscombe yeah, yeah of course made, yeah made so, the headlines yeah, made that, we switched to, to fly half during the game yeah. so and there's injury issues there I mean centre is the same but half back well we, we all were sat in the office last Saturday and we saw the picture of Dan Bigger you know grimacing on the floor and hearing the reports of this in no way he was going to be able to be named but the boy has got remarkable powers of recovery we know what a fighter he is and he's named in the team we wait to see what happens he obviously has to just you know they're saying he's he's fine he doesn't have to come through anything but you know you'd, you'd, you'd want to see him on the pitch on Saturday to be absolutely certain so mm. there's a change there um, injury related in the in the back row as well to a certain extent in the sense that Navidi is now back in the frame 
hasn't played since January. And also the fact that Tulipe Faletau, we learned, took a bump playing for Bath against Bristol last Sunday. Further evidence, as with the bigger thing, with the, of, the, of the, the risks that you have when you have English-based players is always going to be a problem. And then obviously there's the change in the bench with Will Rowlands. He took a knee injury, so Shingler comes in. So across the board, Wynne Jones as well as at a hip flexor, he's not involved. So there's a lot of injury-related issues. But what you've ended up with is a very experienced side. Of course, the concern is you've got two boys starting now, one who hasn't played since October in Liam Williams and one one who's only had three games since October in Navidi and hasn't played for six or seven weeks. How can they get through it? Well, they're class players, the experience will help them there. They know the big um, stage, match fitness. You can't put that in overnight. I guess adrenaline natural fitness will hopefully get them through it for a large chunk of it particularly for Josh I mean it's a big ask isn't it mm. you're going into the absolute melting pot there in the back row so much importance on that breakdown you can see why he's been brought in because he's so good there but he hasn't played a lot of rugby so um, yeah he's a fighter again so let's hope he comes through it if my memory serves me correctly did Navidi not have a similar scenario before the World Cup I mean, he came off the bench against England in that second warm-up game. But he, well, what happened? He'd, he'd if had you remember, that, he, he'd had his um, arm injury yeah. playing for Cardiff Blues. I think it was an elbow fracture, an elbow, bad elbow Just injury. Couple of weeks yeah. after the um, he it? he was very much, you know, kind of eleventh hour, and then hit the. Had a, I thought his first game not quite up to it, not as you normally expect. After one match, he was straight back into it. I watched him in December. Came back in the Welsh derbies. Hadn't played since October. Absolutely hit the ground running in the derby. was tremendous. So he does have a track record for being able to do it, but obviously it's a big ask, you know. Yeah, it's very difficult, you know. And uh, again, speaking to Mike, uh, Mike Phillips, he was saying that players coming back from injuries, you do need games before you start to hit your peak. It's very difficult to be thrown straight back in and be expected to play. He said like, he's a massive fan of Liam Williams, but he's not expecting fireworks on Saturday. And thinks it's a little. Un- it would be a little unfair, really, for people to expect too much of him, uh, given you know he hasn't played since October, uh, suffering that that um that ankle, uh, nasty ankle injury that he had. You know, I, I think it's you know they they they're adamant that they've done enough in training. Um, it's talk of like getting enough volume into the legs and all that sort of thing. Basically, means they feel like they've worked them hard enough. Um, they felt not sending them back to their regions was the right thing to do, keeping them in camp, working them hard. Um, they feel like both players are in a position where they're ready to go out on the field and play. So I suppose you've got to take them at their word. I think it's tough. Um, I think, you know, to chuck somebody into what is probably the most intense game that they're going to play this year, having not played rugby in a long time, is is a risk, um, you know. Liam's been out for a long time and they've given him a lot of time to recover um, so I think he should be fine you know hamstrings Josh Navidi's had hamstring problems um, over the years yeah. you know we'll just have to wait and see they they are happy in their medical staff uh, that all both players are ready to go as Simon said whether that whether that means they can hit their straps uh, from the first whistle is a 
a different question. I'm just going to think, my mind is cast back actually to when Wales played England in the August warm-up games. Now, if you remember in that game, the game in Cardiff, the second match of the sequence, Josh Navidi came off the bench in that match. He hadn't played since March, end of March, when he picked up his injury for the Blues. So he went from March to August, not playing a game, came off the bench. And I remember his very first act in that match was to sprint 40 metres upfield on the back, I think it was of a Josh Adams break, clear out three England players, lay the ball on the platform, ended up with Ken Owens and North over in the corner. North scored yep. the try in the cross kick, if you remember. So, you know, he's got a track record for yep. coming off long breaks and hitting the ground running. Let's hope he can do it again this week. Because that came to my mind, because there's literally in the studio recording, there's a massive image behind us with, of, 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 <laughs> of Josh Davidi wearing the number 20 shirt in that yeah. game. But it's, it's interesting because obviously Wales think in, in camp think that players maybe don't need to, to gain that match fitness elsewhere. And it's something I think England have talked about in the past week and they've done the same largely with, say, Watson and, and Wilson coming back in. It just feels like maybe there's a sort of trend sort of coming along in, in, in Test Rugby where international coaches seem to think that, obviously Wales did it with Faletau as well at the start of the tournament. Mm. It, it, you don't need to go looking to, 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 to gain club minutes to, to get those sort of, you know... Mi- Minutes back. Yeah, well, Sam Warburton pointed out earlier this week that certain players will feel like they need a bit of game time before going into this sort of uh, occasion. However, Liam Williams is probably one of those guys who you can throw straight back in and he'll he'll thrive in that environment. Um, you know, I think it's down to a lot of it will be down to personal preference and the individual as well. I've no doubt if, if either player had said to the Wales management staff like, like two weeks ago, I need to have a game for my region before I feel good enough to come back and play for, for Wales or, you know, feel good in yourself, you know, taking the contact, getting back into the flow of things, you know, hitting rucks, all the rest of it. Um, then I think Wales would have released players if they'd wanted to but as you said you know they, they clearly feel they can do enough work now on the training field um, at a high enough intensity to as closely replicate the test match as they can uh, we understand that t- Tuesday session was particularly you know ferocious and, and intense as they tend to be so you know you've got to take them at their word if they they feel like they can do a good enough job it means they get to monitor them more closely you know, you, you probably in a little bit more controlled environment, so you don't risk sort of re-injury. Um, so they've got to do what they feel is right by themselves and the players. I mean, the other thing, I mean, Faletau's bump may have had a little bit of a bearing on this. They've obviously yeah. talked about the fact that he hasn't been able to train fully. But I do think that it would have looked at it, and I think most people are of the view that, that Wales needed to do something about the breakdown. It's been an issue in the last two games, particularly in the France game. So we've blown away with France's counter-rucking. Couldn't get quick ball because they were... You know, under Sean Edwards, they were ploughing numbers in. Wales couldn't clear it away. There's been a lack of ability to compete and contest and spoil and steal ball and opposition possession. So I think there's a recognition that they, they needed reinforcements over the ball. So it's send for Mr Navidi because the one thing you'll say, he's the best player in Wales, I believe, at clearing out in your own ball and providing quick recycling. And he also has got the background as a six and a seven which enables him to provide a real presence over the ball with his jackling, you know, both pilfering ball, winning penalties, and also slowing ball down. And I just think it works better when you have him and Tipperick together. I think it brings the best out of Tipperick because you have Navidi doing a lot of the grafting work, both in terms of the contact area, tackling, and over the ball. Allows Tipperick to do what he does best, which is roam a bit more, offer so much in the wide channels. And I know Tipperick, uh, um, Navidi's playing at eight on his back, 
and he will, you know, he's very capable as a dynamic carrier, punching above his weight. But I guess a lot of his work in the loose will almost be as another yeah. uh, another open side to an extent. Yeah, on, on that, like Sam Warburton was asked about Tom Curry earlier in the week when he's up for press, and he was like, "You play eight, you got that number on your back, but as soon as you're in open play, you just play like another seven. And he said he he had it when he was playing at six and Tiprick was at seven. You might be in a different place in the line out, different place in the scrum. Maybe you, you're going to, as a number eight, hang in the backfield a little bit for kick returns. But he said, apart from that, that's like 10%, 15% of the game. The other 90, 85% of the match, you just play like an open side. So, you know, it's going to be interesting in the back row particularly because, you know, you've got a lot of... Well, you haven't got many number eights. <laughs> Let's face it, you've got a lot of flankers playing. Yeah, exactly. So the breakdown is going to be um, something to keep an eye on. I think it's interesting. England have gone for Mark Wilson, haven't they? I mean, I think Underhill's had a bit of a bump. So yeah. I mean, Wilson's a hard, nuggety player, but maybe not quite as influential over the ball. So you go back to the situation where Curry's got a lot on his plate there as the eight and as probably the main source of contesting over the ball. Mm. Um, I think Wales, with Navidi there and Tipperick there as well, um, and Dylan Lewis, who's very, very good over the ball, Ken Owens as well, Tompkins. They've got a, quite a few people now who can contest that area. Yeah. And I think if Wales are going to have a chance against England, so much of it will be spoiling their ball to stop them getting the momentum. But particularly, it'll be the recycling, because this Wales team, the way it wants to play, it needs quick ball. You saw that, ironically, with the try that was the interception try against for Intermac. You know, what, if that pass had gone out to Tipperick, there was a three-on-one situation, and all of that came from quick ball. And it was very rare in the last two matches to get quick ball. Potentially, Wales have now got a, a combination and a balance in their back row that might help in that respect. Mm. What was interesting was, um, I think Hadley Parks mentioned it this week, is that under Sean Edwards, they just went for the breakdown every single time. Byron Sam and Byron Hayward are now sort of trying to teach them to to pick and choose their moments, and maybe that's why we're seeing Wales almost look a bit more sort of lax in, in defence and 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 gifting more opportunities because they're not slowing the ball down every single rock. Mm. Yeah, but the the thought process behind that is you get more bodies on your feet and you should be able to cope with. Yeah. You know, it's, you almost try and smother the opposition attack then because you should have... It's like just developing that... 13 players on their feet. So, you know, players, if they're being asked to do different things at the breakdown, like we've seen in other parts of Wales's game, there's going to be teething problems. And, exactly. And, you know, players are going to have to be more selective in which breakdowns they attack and which ones they don't. Um, and that decision-making process, if it doesn't come naturally, takes a little bit of time to develop, especially when the game is being played at test match pace. So, you know maybe we are seeing teething problems at the breakdown I don't think they'll be happy with what they've seen so far in that facet of the game so you know they've had two weeks now as Simon said you've got that extra man in there now in Josh Navidi so it will be interesting to see how effective they can be at Twickenham on Saturday I have less concern about the picking and choosing and the defensive ball because any ball you win defensively is a bonus Mm. right but any ball you lose that you go in with that's not that's bad news and the concern I have is that Wales have, have struggled to get any kind of fluid recycling going and I think that's the absolute priority and I think that's what Navidi can bring because as I say his ability to shift bodies the Iranian wrestler background mm-hmm. is absolutely crucial in there. he is a body shifter he's a unit isn't he yeah so um, I'm looking forward to see how he goes um, as I say you just fingers crossed on the fitness side I mean and, yeah. and which brings us on I guess to Mr Bigger indeed um it's been an interesting week, hasn't it? And and yet here we are on Thursday and all looks well. 
It looks well, yeah. You know, he's named in the start inside. Um, I, you know, we get the impression he hasn't trained a lot this week. However, Wayne Pivak didn't give a lot away on this at the press conference. He was asked, um, you know, how he's been. Dan apparently trained today. Um, did a lot of running, did kicking, did all his usual stuff. Uh, he'll train again tomorrow. Uh, and he's in in line to start on Saturday. He was asked point blank if if Bigger had anything more to do uh, in the next twenty four hours to prove his fitness for the match, and and it was a straight no. He's he, he's looked good so far. He's good to go. So you got to take Pivak at his word. You know it is. You know based coming from where we were earlier in the week, it's a pretty uh, <laughs> it's a pretty you know Lazarus like uh, comeback, isn't it from from Bigger? So you know there were suggestions. Pivak said you know if if he was playing in a test match on last uh, last weekend he may have carried on playing so you know maybe you know despite how bad it might have looked maybe it wasn't as bad as we've all seen but you know let's wait and see. put it this way when when we get to Twickenham and the players come out for the warm-up I will be looking for him to find out whether he's there or not because we've had this before at the World Cup with Jonathan Davis put this put it this way You'd expect Sam Davis to be heading to South West London as a cover, wouldn't you? Yes. And the fact that he's been added officially to the Wales squad, when in theory you've got the same number of people available yeah. to cover as you had last before the last game, that would suggest that they're obviously feeling there's a need to have back up there. I mean, Sam deserves it. He's had a great season. He couldn't have done any more, really. And now he's there, and I guess he will be shadowing it in case there is an issue. But, um, mm. yeah, I mean... With Dan, you know, he reminds me a bit like a Brian O'Driscoll in in the, you see you should see O'Driscoll in a heap on the floor so many times you realize no way he's going to be able to continue, but like O'Driscoll, he just finds a way of getting his body back in shape, and you know, it's a, every game he puts his body on the line, his bravery is unquestionable. Mm. Um, but I think he will be important if he is feeling okay because, I mean, he knows a lot of those players now very very well from playing for Northampton in the Premiership. Yeah. I, think I mean, it's the kind of game where you do need game management, you do need experience, and then with Jared Evans, you know, coming off the bench when things loosen up as well. But and the other interesting one for me at halfback is, is the scrum half selection. Yeah, we've got to come on to this because if you look at it, we talked so much before the championship about Wales having this great riches of scrum half now with Reese Webb eligible again. You know, you got three you know I think you know you gotta argue close to world class players there, you know, um pushing for it. But sometimes when you're spoiled for choice, choice can be a bit of a headache. And it, you're in this situation where Wales don't seem entirely clear in their own mind who is the number one scrum half at the moment. They started with Thomas Williams for the first two games. He then had a couple of errors against Ireland. He gets moved onto the bench. Gareth Davis came comes in. Gareth Davis starts against France, and now he's out of the 23 altogether with Thomas starting and Reese Webb on the bench. So they, they don't seem that they've actually reached a, a clear decision yet on who's the, the main man going forward. This is a huge call. This is one of the biggest calls in the team altogether. Gareth, to drop Gareth Davis entirely, and he has been dropped, yeah. bona fide, dropped. You know, and Reese Webb's come in and, and sort of asked, you know, about you know that that selection Pivak was, and he started talking about game management and communication in the, in the final uh, quarter of matches, and you know, Gareth Davis won't be happy with his performance against France and all the rest of it. I was thinking to myself, well, Gareth Davis was a man who was scrum half for Wales at the at the World Cup. You know, we talking about game management and communication. I mean, it's a pretty damning indictment of Gareth Davis if that's not in his game at this point in time. So I think that's a huge call, and I think you know it's, that's going to be a tough one for Gareth Davis to take on the chin. For, for, for me, one one thing that I wonder—I don't think it would have made that much of a factor because t- to be dropped is massive. But I think that maybe the way 
how Wales are going about the breakdown now and they're not slowing much ball down, which means they don't get much line speed. I think that maybe negates the way that Gareth Davis defends slightly. If if Wales's defence as a whole aren't getting off the line quickly, Gareth Davis can't sort of spot blitz as he does so freely because mm-hmm. then you open up dog legs. But that alone is not enough to, to justify dropping out the 23. No, I think it's all about speed, speed of deed. If you look at it, I think the Wales want, they'll, even more so in any game against England, they want to play with pace. Yeah. And that's not just pace around the field in terms of your ability to sprint, it's ability to get things done quickly. And I think they would probably look in it and who's got the stick, slickest service of the three? Well, probably the person with the slowest service is potentially Gareth Davis. I mean, I watched Reese Webb at the weekend for Bath against Bristol. Um, you know, he's he's not like chiselled as he perhaps once was. He's still got game time to get under his belt. But I watched the quality of his passing closely, and he zips it. He, that has not that has not deteriorated at yeah. all. Um, and it was first game back for a new team, so he perhaps wasn't taking on so much himself. But in terms of service, it's excellent. Um, and possibly his box kicking is slightly above Gareth in terms of that. But it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because as I say, I just don't think they've made a clear decision in their heads about which way they're going forward with this. Because mm. I was looking at the stats of the day, and Wales' attack in ruck speed, in terms of how quickly they're getting the ball away from rucks, isn't, it's, it's, it's largely the same as any other team in the Six Nations. Uh, obviously, those numbers are swayed because, you know, Box kicks count towards that, so mm. every team takes about five seconds. So you know the average goes up. I think Wales are about three point eight seconds per ruck, and England are maybe three point six, three point seven. Defensively is where the ruck speed Wales aren't competing well enough. It's like again, it's three, but everyone else is sort of negating it to four. So I don't know if any of the scrum halves particularly that slow. I thought Reese Webb looked really slow at, at the base of the ruck. You know, against Italy when he came on, obviously he's had a bit more time under his belt. But yeah, if, if, if speed of ball is is why Pivak's made the decision, I'm not sure that Reese Webb on the bench is the solution. I, I was I was being encouraged watching Reese on the weekend. He looked to me to you know as you'd expect with an, you know a bit more rugby under his belt. He looked sharper. As I say, you know, he, there, were, there was a lot of time in that game where Bath were camped on the Bristol yeah. line and the Reese Webb of old would have shown and go and gone for the line. Now, it's his first game for a new club. You can understand why he was just giving, 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 mm. you know. But he, his passing was sharp and crisp. Um, but I do feel a bit sorry for Gareth Davis, you know. I do as well. Because he's been an integral part of the Wales setup, really. And, you know, there were lots of people who didn't have fantastic games against France. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very surprised to see him not in the 23 at all. Mm. Indeed. Uh, I suppose that move brings on to the bench, which is, again, quite interesting. I think a a large part of the bench is, again, dictated by injuries. But, you know, you've got Aaron Shingler as lock cover, Jared Evans, John McNichol, Webb, Faletau. It feels to me like this is a bench that the last 20 minutes, England are going to try to control the game with six forwards. Wales are probably going to go for broke. Wales have gone for mobility again. Yeah. Haven't they? I mean, the one that strikes me out of this is what's happened to Adam Beard? Well, Adam Beard, Ad, Adam yeah. Beard, last Six Nations, him and Corey Hill were really vying for that. And I think Beard over the season probably made more starts than Corey. Yeah. Now you've got a situation where Corey, I guess, is still working his way back from his hamstring issue. Um, Will Rowlands has picked up a knee injury. 
and yet rather than Beard coming in, you've gone for Aaron Shingler, who is essentially a six who can cover second row. So it's that that's another one that's a little bit baffling to yeah. me, you know, because Beard was so important with his line-out defence for Wales, mall defence, and let's be honest, that the line-out defence hasn't been fantastic this season for Wales. Huh? I don't know, maybe again, if Wales are looking to play a mobile speed game, then you can understand why Shingler would come into that more, more than Adam Beard. But, you know, there's also the fact about the weight coming off the bench in terms of the scrum when Shingler comes on I mean obviously someone like Rollins and Beer they're big boys compared to Shingler and you've got young front row it's uh, this, there's a few ones that have got me scratching my head a little bit in this selection that's the thing cause I, you know I think they'll look at what Will Rollins did off the bench against France the you know gaps had opened up and, and he made a couple of breaks which you wouldn't expect from a, a lock and I think that's what Pivak wants to move to but then I remember Shingler two years ago at Twickenham carving England up in the last 20 when the game opened up. I also remember him coming on in the warm-up match at Twickenham last year and getting hit back every single time. Granted, he had just come back from injury. <laughs> caveat that one. That is a massive a caveat. Time. But if England, if it doesn't open up like it, 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 it might and England are still bringing physicality in that last 20, does that bench play into England's hands? Uh, in some ways, yeah, but you know that you live and die by these decisions, yeah. don't you? As a coach, you, you know, look at the options. And Simon mentioned the word mobility. That's clearly why Aaron Shingler has been preferred to Adam Beard here, because that you know Beard, for all his po- you know positives, is not the most mobile forward in the world. Um, Shingler, familiar with what Pivak likes to do, um, will understand his role well. Uh, I'd imagine it would be fairly similar to what he would have been doing at the Scarlets. So, you know, you, you kind of go with what you know. We know Shingler is, is a very athletic forward for his size. Um, can play with ball in hand as well, so perhaps that suits. But, you know, it, it, the onus will be on them. If, they, if this is their plan to open the game up in the final half hour, then it's down to them to do that. You know, they, there is a risk they could be bullied out of the game by England's power. But, you know, that, that so if they don't feel like they can take England on that, at that, then they've got to try something else. That, that Twickenham warm-up to me this feels like how that game could go because Wales started it they they went was it two scores down early on yeah because defensively they didn't bring line speed which is quite relevant now but they had all their joy because when they were the offloading game didn't they they carved England up a few times but the final offload just never went to hand I think they had something like five breaks without without finishing it off I'm pretty sure they had like four or five opportunities that they couldn't finish. And a few um, of those, there was like two or three phases, uh, offloads on one phase, but it's mm. just always the last offload didn't quite go to hand. And then that last 20 minutes, England just shut up shop and, you know, they, they were solid at the scrum. George Ford kicked the leather off the ball and that was the game. I mean, it's, it's I look back at the England-Ireland game two weeks ago and uh, it does scare me a little bit. When I, when I think of the way that England played in that first half, it was reminiscent yeah. to me of the game against New Zealand, the World Cup semi-final. Relentless carrying, relentless recycling, stressing the opposition. And this, of course, was in its Irish opposition that outmuscled us physically in Dublin. So, yeah, I think Wales have to find a way of getting out of that physical battle and playing a, a, a fast, mobile probably counter-attacking game to a certain extent but as I say so much of that will depend on the breakdown I just think it's absolutely pivotal the, the other one which we haven't mentioned as well which I think is an interesting selection is Rob Evans um, it's been an interesting 12 months for Rob if you think back on it he started four of Wales's game in the Six Nations Grand Slam 2019 went from that to missing out on World Cup selection altogether 
So Nicky Smith, Reese Carey and Wynne Jones overtake him in the pecking order. And fair play to him, bit by bit, he's worked his way back up. Now there is the Wynne Jones' hip flexor injury has perhaps played a part in it. Um, but Rob's worked hard to get back in there and uh, decent little cameos of the bench he's had so far. And the one thing you won't be lacking foot with Rob is a bit of enthusiasm and get energy. up and go. It'll be a real energy. And, you know, he is the hyperactive prop, Rob. And uh, But again, um, scrimmaging wise, I think England were good in the scrum against Ireland. Uh, and that's going to be another challenge for Wales with what you've got essentially, you know, some young props there, still young props yeah. in Dylan Lewis, um, Leon Brown, Brown yeah. Reese Carey's on the bench now. So, yeah, there's a big challenge in the tight there. Because I don't think the Wales scrum isn't that bad. I just think to me, they just, it's, it's been key moments, hasn't it? <laughs> I was going to say, it's been bad at the wrong time. It's been, it's been bad at the wrong time. And, and part of that, I think, is, is sort of naivety. I think there's, John Humphreys has got an insistence that if you scrummage legally, it'll come good in the end, which I don't think works at test level. I think, you you know, you've got to be streetwise. Well, I, I keep thinking back to Marler a few years ago when we had the entire talk was about Marler's scrummaging up against yeah. Wales and aerial shots of his angles of engagement. You know, he's an experienced old Wildy Casper now. Sinclair's there, Genge off the bench. I watched Will Stewart last week against Bath. Look, oh, he can scrummage coming off the bench. They got a lot of firepower in the propping. I ain't worried about the loose head, um, but I have got reservations about Wales' tired situation. Yeah. You know, Dylan Lewis has got something to prove in the scrum. I think it's got massive, massive potential, um, as we've seen in big games already for Wales. But I do worry about uh, his matchup with Marla and then Leon Brown against Alice Alice Genge. Uh, in you know when they get replaced, yeah, those those are ones that. Are- this whole championship will, will be fantastic for Dylan and for Leon and for Carey in terms of experience. Yeah. There are going to be occasions where you're probably going to take a bit of short-term pain. Put it this way. <laughs> <laughs> And that's that. <laughs> if uh, if Wales get penalty five meters out in the England twenty two, take the kick. They're not they're not scrummaging four times in a row. <laughs> kick no, the no, touch or take, take the points. The kick, yeah. There we go. What, what what do we make of the England team? Then they've also named their team two changes. Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of Underhill. Massive fan of his. I yeah. think the combination of him and Curry. In but I go back again to that Royal Blacks game. They were tremendous in that match. Um, Wilson is a hard as teak player honestly he is yeah. uh, he's trod the boards at club level for years and years and he's just uncompromising gives everything physically won't let anybody down um, but I do think the loss of Underhill is 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 a bit of a blow for England and John Anthony Watson has come in for Jonathan Joseph hasn't he on the, on the yeah. wing you know I mean Watson's an absolute world class player no question about that and who, who will, how will it work out? Do you think we were talking about this earlier? Who, who is going to wear? Uh, who's going to be left and right wing? And where's they've named fourteen and eleven? How will they shape up? Who will take Watson? Uh, Liam take Watson. I would, I would put North on Watson. He's defended Watson before, um, and I think Johnny May. Well, they're, they're both rapid. They both got gas. Um, I, I'd be comfortable either way, to be honest. Uh, but I think I would have North on Watson. Here's a question. Here's a question for you then. If mm. Liam Williams um, was fully fit, which you know he's obviously coming towards that, but say you've got a fully fit Liam, yeah. and you've got a fit Josh Adams, yeah. what would the starting back three have been this weekend? Oh Christ! Who that's would a, miss out? That's a good that's question. A, that's a great question, isn't it? Uh, well, who would you leave out? Um, there'd be a strong case for leaving out George North, um, given it, given the concussion. And who do you see being? 
Pivak's first choice fullback going forward because this is the first game that Liam Williams has played on the wing since November 2018. I mean, I think the way Pivak likes to play at the Scarlets, from what I watched it, I mean, there was a lot of scope given to McNichol when he was playing fullback to counter-attack, to join the line, to make incisions, to make entries. So I think Liam Williams would probably fit into it more. Um, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I mean, McNichol, you know, is, we haven't talked about him. He's on the bench. But I mean, I guess there's still a few question marks over McNichol's defence. I think probably you'd look Liam Williams would be your, starting, um, your starter. And then I guess North and Adams probably. Yeah, I think I think Halfpenny's had a really good tournament at, in general, but was one of those who didn't have the greatest afternoons against France. Yeah, um, that's fair enough. But so yeah, you know, he, Liam Williams likes playing fullback. That's his favourite position. He's probably one of the best players in the side when he's fully fit. So you probably be inclined to pick him in his position, provided you've got somebody at ten who can goal kick. Um, yeah, it's tough, and it? it's difficult to say because people hit form at different times. Uh, but the back three we've ended up with on Saturday, as Simon touched on earlier, is is a world class back three. What the feedback I've got, and I've had it a lot during the championship, and I've had it today again. Why on earth isn't Lewis Rees Samet involved? Thoughts? I like. I, I've said all along. No, coming he, in as as soon as he wasn't capped against Italy, he was never going to play in this competition as long as Wales were on for the Grand Slam. Yeah. Um, now I think he's got a chance playing against Scotland. I would never have thrown him in at Twickenham, and I've been consistent in that for the last two weeks. Um, it wouldn't have surprised me if we didn't see him until Wales play Japan in the summer. Um, but because the championship's gone, I think they should throw him in on Saturday. Uh, sorry, a week Saturday uh, in Cardiff against weaker opposition. You know, home comforts, no pressure on either side. Let him experience Test rugby that way. To throw him in at Twickenham on what is going to be a difficult afternoon whether Wales win or lose, because if they win, it ain't going to be easy for them either, I think would have been a mistake. And the other I'm thing is, well, he's been ill, hasn't he? So he's probably had limited time in training as mm. well. He, listen, he knows those English players. He probably would relish the opportunity. He might well rise to the occasion, but it could be a tough day for Wales. And do you really want him to share in that as a first experience of international rugby? Nope. Probably not. Also, on that, that's a good point that he plays in the, in the English Premiership and knows those players well. But he doesn't play against England's 15 best players at the same time, does no. he? In a, the cauldron that is going to be Twickenham on Saturday. It's not a it, 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 what do you mean it's not it's a cauldron? Not, it's not a cauldron in the same sense. Oh, that's a yeah, nonsense. James, James Hook is, was in it the other day. That is Yesterday, nonsense. James Hook was saying it's not a cauldron to play him. Sam Warburton said on Tuesday, if anyone says Twickenham has a bad atmosphere, they have never been to Twickenham. I, I think when England start to get on a roll, it can be quite an intimidating place. The I noise, think it's a the, great stadium. The noise is like, huge. It's a great stadium. I think, you know, Cardiff is like a cauldron. And it almost, it doesn't override Wales' deficiencies. I just think Twickenham, it's just, you're just playing a very strong team I, I who, who just play that sort of rugby. So what I'm interested to know, because obviously we didn't, we were at Garrington John in today, we were in the office doing the game line with him. Um, so we didn't go down to Wales. So I'm interested to know from you, how would you sum up Pivak's body language, attitude. Did you see him like he was a man under pressure? Relaxed? How was mm, he? He was all right. He, you know, he was. There was a few jokes with the press and stuff as he sat down, and you know, a few smiles here and there. Um, you know, I don't think. You know, he, he he strikes me as somebody at the moment who's still feeling their way through it. Um, you know, he's not. 
you know, he said a lot without really saying much in this mm-hmm. tournament, um, which is probably because he hasn't got that sort of body of work underneath him yet. He hasn't experienced things. Um, you know, it's the this is the first time, though he's been at the Scarlets for a few years, so he knows what Wales is like. You know, he's experiencing it firsthand now, what it's like when things go wrong. So I think they're still feeling their way through things as a management group as a whole. You know, the best the best press conference we've had all you know all tournament was probably Sam Warburton's on Tuesday, and that's because Sam Warburton is, knows knows the environment, probably knew every journalist in the room well, and and has done it for years. So I think I think Pivak is somebody who's still feeling his way around the role. First time up to Twickenham on Saturday, for example. Um, you know, Warren Gatland went up to Twickenham God knows how many times. So, you know, th- th- it's going to take time for Pivak to, f- to sort of understand and uh, and get comfortable fielding certain questions. Like, you know, today there were questions about coronavirus and, and things like that. You know, you won't be having those questions at the Scarlets, for example. So he's experienced all these left field things for the first time. Um so that that's probably my assessment of the situation. He's he's probably not as comfortable as he will be, you know, when he has a full year under his belt. I, I just think it's a very surreal feeling week because it's Wales, England, and it's it it has felt like a sideshow. Low key, isn't it? Because yeah. there's been such a focus after the weekend on the Six Nations TV rights deal. Mm. That's been a huge talking point. Every day we've been waiting for updates on the coronavirus impact on the tournament. We now know Italy, England is off. The whole tournament feels like it's kind of stuttering to a non-conclusion in many ways. Yeah. And you wonder whether it'll ever actually be finished. There's been such focus on all of those things that the Wales-England, which is, you know, we've all, oh, nothing beats Wales-England. Well, actually, it's, it's really been very low-key. And it's not been helped by... No one said anything. No, no one's no well, one's thrown any grenades one, out one, there. One, one man in particular has avoided every bit of bait this week. Eddie Jones. I, I saw every, I saw looking at the questions today that and not Andy was asking, but Andy was sending back to us typing up, and it felt like there was a, a bit of bait that you know dangled, and he, he just sidestepped all of it. You know, he even asked about how he thought the, the Welsh fly half would go. Obviously, two years after he mm. decimated Reese Patch, he said whoever they pick will play well at Twickenham. Mm. How times change. <laughs> Better reverse psychology. Yeah, you, you, you do get the sense that the relationship between Mr. Jones and the English rugby, you know, troop isn't the greatest. Is it? So whether it's yeah. a little bit, you know, a frosty, I'm not saying very much to you. Yeah, uh, but I mean, I'm intrigued. I, I mean, and we haven't seen the full details yet of the kind of um, embargoed material. I'm sure Andy will have been asking a few excellent questions. Yeah. So we'll wait to see what comes out of that for Mr. Jones. Yeah, he swings and roundabouts Eddie Jones. Sometimes he'll he'll say loads other yeah. times. He won't say anything, you know. It's- he does the opposite of what you want him to do. So, when you when you actually think, oh, this might be the week that he starts, you know, lighting the touch paper, he's all nice and polite, and then when you expect him to be quiet, that's when he he sort of throws a grenade. I never know if Wales win on Saturday. Perhaps he'll be a bit spiky afterwards, and perhaps he might be a bit livelier. But yeah, you know, he's been. Uh, I think he's been stung a bit recently as well. I think some of his <laughs> comments have. I've come back to bite him a little bit, and you know, they haven't been well received. Um, so, I, I think the other reason why it's a bit low key is quite a lot of the Welsh rugby public, Welsh public in general, would be a little bit anxious and trepidatious about this weekend because Wales have had injury issues. They haven't played fantastically well. England showed in the first half against Ireland what they can do when they're right at the top of their game. I think people are trying not to think about it too much a little bit at the moment because, uh, yeah, it could be a tough day at the office. It'd be fantastic. It'd be, it'd be a real fill-up and lift. After all the sort of 
you know, honeymoon period, is it going to work in the pivot? We're not sure about this, not sure about that. If it actually started to click on Saturday yeah. and you yeah. saw the kind of, you know, attacking performance that this team can deliver, because I think the balance is better to this team, then you'd see like uh, you'd see a real different mood. I think, and I'd love to see that happen. Yeah. Even if Wales don't win, I'd love to see it start to really click. Yeah, yeah, could be like a reverse twenty eighteen, couldn't it? <laughs> could be. <laughs> see, sort of, you know, they had a, a few moments against England at Twickenham, and the week before they they thrashed Scotland. Could, well, fi- like, could yeah. finish this this year's tournament in the inverse. A few could moments do, at yeah. and then thrash. Scotland, like size, you know, a win would be massive for Pivac, yeah. huge. Uh, I think if they won on Saturday, they'll wallop Scotland in the final weekend of the tournament, and it, everyone bounces into the summer tour with a spring in their step. Um, you know, you hear so much talk of that 2008 win for Gatland, even though it was a grand slam, but that win in particular, it made people believe in him. Yep. In terms of the players bought into everything he said from that point onwards. And I think a win on Saturday would have a similar effect um, yeah. for Pivac. So, you know, even though nobody is going to fancy Wales going into this one, apart from the 23 players that are involved, a win would be massive for Pivac. I'm Sam Warburton, and you're listening to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. So what, we'll, we'll end the podcast reminiscing about 15 years ago. Okay. Remember 15 years ago? What, what class in school are you in? Uh, I was in year four. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't remember what class I was in, but I remember I was probably, I was in the stadium. I was about 10 rows from the front on the wrong side of the pitch behind the posts um, from where Gavin Henson obviously kicked that penalty. Um just you know, those are those are the wins as it growing up in in Wales, my generation. Um, those are the ones you look you sort of look back on and remember. You know the the tackles on Matthew Tate, um, and that penalty. It really was Gav's game, wasn't it? Yep. Um, you know, forever that tournament will be associated with Henson, um, and um, you know they were just fantastic times because they came really from nowhere as well, didn't they? It was all a bit mundane for me. I was sat next to Andy Owl again. That's what I have done for the last 20, 20 years. That'll kill your mood. <laughs> I remember, yeah, Shave Away, Shave Away, shave Eddie, away. by Eddie Great Redlow. Yeah, very yeah. good commentary, commentary, you know. And uh, I think it, it's hard to try and explain to young whippersnappers, you know, it was 28 years since Wales had had a Grand Slam. It obviously wasn't the Grand Slam game, but it was the it was the there was the game that paved the way from that and the game that made you feel that something was starting to happen. You still had that France game coming up in a couple of weeks' time. But I always remember as well, Martin Williams wasn't supposed to be playing. You know, he wasn't going to be in the team. It was Colin Chavis was, you know, nailed on. Chavis got an injury playing for the Dragons a few weeks earlier uh, against Newcastle. And uh, playing for Newcastle, I think against the Dragons actually that way around. And uh six weeks later Martin's man of the Six Nations. <laughs> it's just funny how these things happen, really. It is, yeah. Of course, the reason I'm bringing it up is John Dole went down to see him. On, Dolly, on Dolly, out the office. I, but, did, I, I didn't know he, he was allowed out of this office. Well, thank goodness he is, because we can all put our feet up after the hits from that piece. <laughs> Great piece. Done more hits than I've had all year. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll listen to, to what Gav had to say about 2005. Oh no, that that sort of made my career in one way or another. Really, just um, you know, I arrived on the international scene that day. Really. Um, 
I was coming in that game on really good form. I'd be playing rugby well for the last two years before, so I felt overdue a chance at the Six Nations. Um, as well as England, you know, I don't think I've ever lost to this England <laughs> through the age groups. Yeah. Uh, it just always brings something special out of you. Uh, never reached those heights again, I suppose, with that performance. Probably something to do with the injuries, but also, I don't know, it's just something about a Wales England game that just brings yeah. something special out of you. What about the kick? What, what were you thinking about? Everyone remembers the kick when you're lining it up. Yeah. Oh, look, at the time, it was, you know, I didn't have an ounce of self doubt in me. Yeah. I watch it now and I'm like, oh God, I hope I got it. <laughs> but no, at the time, because of the hours you put in, you yeah, just like, never had that negative thought. Yeah. So there was never any nerves. I didn't really take in the scale of the kick, I suppose, at the time yeah. either. You know, I think if you start thinking like that, you'll get a bit too nervous. What did you, you do? do just lose yourself when you go on the field. What did you do that night? Good. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. At that time, we had, a, we had a good clique of boys. We would always like to go out for a drink. Uh, fab four, fab five. Yeah, you, were the, you were like the fifth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I, yeah, yeah. Sort of had the fab, fab five by two. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we were looking to go out, but it was manic out there, you know, and yeah. scenes, scenes like that, and uh, yeah, you couldn't grab a drink. People pulling you in, it was crazy. Felt like movie stars. So yeah, great stuff there. Great, great to hear Dolly's voice, isn't it? On on interviews, Dolly, great interviewee. Should do it more often. Indeed, he should. So that's it. That's it for today's podcast. Uh, Hopefully, are, the next... are we going to do anything before the game? Are we going to do a prediction now? Are we saving that for later. That's a very good point because we're not doing another podcast before the game, so we better do it now. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Well, it's, like, it's, like, it's like the kid who like oh, reminds the teacher at the end of class, yeah. "Oh, you, you forgot to, well, you forgot oh, to yeah. collect the homework. You forgot to give us homework this well, week, sir." We're going to have to put it in print at some point, so we might as well work it out in our heads. I think now. we've had an email from the boss already asking yeah. for I'll, it. So. I'll, I'll give you some time, then I will go. Um, England twenty-five, Wales seventeen. Counted. No, no, no. I'm sorry. 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 No, no, I, I am very methodical about 25-17 to England. 25-17. Uh, yeah, look, I think it'd be a surprise if Wales win. Um, you know, everything everything building up to this suggests that they, they shouldn't have enough to, to, to win at Twickenham, um, given the way both teams have performed, the trajectories that they're both on in this tournament. Um you know the injury question marks over a few players as well. If Wales won, it would be a surprise. So I would go for an English victory uh, at Twickenham. You're buying time now, aren't you? No, yeah. I'm trying to think of <laughs> trying to think of a scoreline. You know, I think Wales can score tries. It. I don't think they'll score many. Uh, probably something like uh, 24-12. Same score as the Irish game. There you go. Oh, yeah. Good. Um, yeah, hard to disagree with all that. Um, 28-18 I think England okay Fair there enough. we go no hopefully idea. we're wrong and hopefully we're talking about a Welsh victory on um, Saturday as you two are driving back yeah it will make the drive a lot better anyway indeed it'll be a long drive otherwise if it's not yeah, it'll be a long old day otherwise yeah mm-hmm. indeed but we'll uh, cross that bridge Literally. Quite literally. Uh, when we get to it, that's it for today's podcast. You can catch all the latest around England v Wales on Saturday on Wales Online. 